Okay, before we get started with today's episode, have you heard the awesome news? Llama Life now has an iOS app so you can take it with you wherever you go. I have been using Llama Life consistently on my computer for a year now. A year! That's unprecedented. That's like a lifetime in ADHD terms. And now with the new iOS app, I'm able to seamlessly transition between my computer and my iPhone so that my favorite little productivity coach is with me whenever I need it. So what is so special about Llama Life? Well, for starters, it's not a fancy new calendar or planner or complicated productivity management system. It's a time-boxing, single-tasking program that easily integrates with your already existing organizational systems. If you're like me and you struggle with time blindness or maintaining focus throughout your day, then this is the app for you. I love Llama Life because it's simple, effective, and beautifully designed. And dare I say, it makes even the most mundane chore more fun and colorful. If you want to check out the iOS app for yourself, head to the App Store for a free trial and start enjoying that Llama Life for yourself. It's okay to ask for what I want. And when we start creating those boundaries, then we have more time for things. We all have the same 24 hours in a day. It's not that we don't work as efficient as a neurotypical. It's just that we expect so much of ourselves and we overschedule. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45 and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. All right, before we begin, I would like to share with you this review from a listener named also Katie on the Apple podcast platform. It's entitled love, love, love. Every single time I listen, there is something new that I can relate to, or maybe it's something I forgot, but it feels so good to hear and say me too. I think sometimes when I'm struggling in my ADHD paralysis, just listening to this podcast helps motivate me to do the things I so desperately want to do, or even just feel better about not doing them and being gentle with myself. You are truly amazing. Well, thank you also, Katie. I think you're amazing. This is really lovely to read, and the timing is perfect because in today's episode, my guest and I talk all about motivation, momentum, and getting over paralysis. So thank you for being motivated enough to write this review. And if you're a listener of this podcast and you found it helpful, please consider leaving a review. You can head over to the Apple Podcast platform or Audible, or you can leave feedback on individual episodes on Spotify. And if that feels like too much and I get it, you can also just quickly hit those five stars. In fact, why don't you just hit pause right now and do it? I promise we will wait for you. Okay, here we are at episode 165 in which I interview Brooke Schnittman. Brooke is a compassionate ADHD coach who has worked alongside ADHDers and their families since 2006. However, Brooke herself wasn't officially diagnosed with ADHD until 2019. She now runs Coaching with Brooke, an international coaching organization based in Boca Raton, Florida, and she has rapidly become a leading global authority in the field of ADHD coaching. Brooke has been featured in magazines and websites such as Forbes, Entrepreneur, Attitude, and Chad. 
Her work has also been featured on news outlets such as CBS, NBC, and Fox. And she also hosts the Successful with ADHD podcast and runs the popular Instagram account, Coaching with Brooke. We talk at length about her new book, Activate Your ADHD Potential, a 12-step journey from chaos to confidence for adults with ADHD, as well as her trademarked 3C activation program. We also talk about building and maintaining momentum and moving past ADHD disruptors like underwhelm and overwhelm. I have been trying to get Brooke on this podcast for years now, so I'm so glad we could finally make this work. It was a fantastic conversation, no surprise there. And I know you'll love what she has to say. So here is my conversation with Brooke. Brooke, thank you so, so much for joining me today. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I was thinking about you and then you reached out. It was like apropos. (laughs) Kismet. Yes. I know, right? And not only that, but as we were talking before I hit record, like I feel like I know you already from your social media presence. And it's so I'm just, I'm yeah, I'm fangirling a little bit here. (laughs) Same here. (laughs) Okay, so you are definitely not my first guest who worked with children with ADHD for many years before that light bulb went off for yourself. So I'm so curious. I want to start at like, your education background and kind of working in uh, special ed and and then how that transitioned into you kind of putting the pieces together for yourself. And what were those pieces that made you think like, oh, wait a minute, I should look into this? I truly believe, like we were talking about, that things just are kismet. And I was gravitating to people who were like me, and I didn't know that I was like them. I didn't understand it in my own brain. But I went to school for elementary education. My undergrad was at Penn State. And I realized I took one special education class. And I thought to myself, this is interesting. (laughs) How am I supposed to become a teacher if I don't really know more about this? So I said, I'm going to hold off in starting to teach and I'm going to just go directly into my master's in special education, you know, like this hyper focus at the time. And I applied to all of these different schools, ones where I didn't have to take any tests to get into it. So I didn't have to, I don't even remember what they're called, but I didn't have to do any theses or anything like that. So I was like, okay, which schools in New York can I go to that I don't need to do a thesis? Okay. NYU, Columbia, Hunter, I needed to do a thesis. Um, And there were a couple of others. So I applied and luckily I got into a bunch. And um, it was between NYU and Columbia. And Columbia was a two-year program. I'm like, no, NYU is a one-year program. Yep, that's for me. (laughs) Let's get this baby going and finish it as soon as possible. (laughs) I love that hindsight now where you're like, oh, yeah, the signs were there all along. (laughs) All along, even when I was a child. But yeah, I could go on. And so I went immediately into my master's and I loved it. Like I started student teaching right away in a special education classroom specifically for learning disabilities, ADHD, anxiety in a private school in New York City. It was wonderful. I learned a lot. I felt like it was my people. And then afterwards, I then got a teaching job on Long Island, was there for like 15 years as a special education teacher, uh, administrator. 
I got bored after a while of just being a special education teacher, like teaching the same things, even though the lessons could be changing based on the, you know, each year, I still wasn't like as energized about it. So the next step was, okay, what can I do next? Right? So it's like, all right, I'm going to go get my math certification and I'm going to teach math like just for high school. And someone taps me on the shoulder and they're like, you should be an administrator. I'm like, okay, you believe in me? I'm going to be an administrator. So I, I pivoted. I had like two classes left in my math certifications and I said, halt, I'm going to be an administrator. So then I got my administrative degree and I was a special education administrator for four years. And I realized at that point that there was so much red tape. I was not working directly with the kids. And that's when I decided to get rid of the golden handcuffs and do something where I could make an impact and see the results immediately. So at that point, I moved to Florida. My family was moving here. It was a very tough decision because I had everything I needed in New York. And I, you know, agonized over it, but I said, you know what? I could always come back if I needed to. So I moved to Florida, loved it, started my coaching company, and here I am, you know, six years later. So it's been wonderful. Now, six months into working with students and then adults with ADHD, I started working on the computer. And I realized that when I was doing my sessions, and then transitioning to my notes, and then coming back to my sessions, I was having a really hard time shifting my attention. So I'm like, this is starting to look familiar in adult ADHD. Like, why is it that I love working with my clients, but I can't finish my goddamn notes? Like, why is it that I love going back? I can focus on the session, but I cannot finish my notes. So I started putting the pieces together, like every little thing just started making sense as an adult. And I sought out someone I knew in the field and she confirmed my diagnosis like right away. I did a 90 minute assessment that I had combined type ADHD, moderate. Started Adderall, helped right away. And here I am. I got very lucky. Amazing. I was really surprised when I heard that you had been diagnosed so recently because it just, I, I, you feel, I don't know, coaching with Brooke just feels like such an institution to me <laughs> uh, since I, my doc, because I was diagnosed in 2020. And so it's so funny how it's like we hit the ground running so, so much. Right. But didn't you have a coaching business before 2020 also? I did. I did. I I kind of pivoted too because I was coaching. Uh, I wasn't working with people with ADHD. Or I was working with people with ADHD. It's just we didn't know it. Uh, but I was working with binge eating recovery. And so, yeah, so I definitely I always joke that I like wanted to go back and contact everybody and be like, guess what? <laughs> I have ADHD and you might have it too. Well, and it's that same thing. Like you said, like you realize after this diagnosis that all the people in your life that you've gravitated toward or who have stayed in your life over the years are likely neurodivergent as well, because it's like not only are we drawn to each other, but our communication style is such that we can have like unconventional friendships <laughs> where we lose touch for eight months at a time and then text each other out of nowhere and be like, <laughs> right, we're good. We're good. 
Right. Yeah. yeah. So I felt like all of, you know, my two besties from university were the only two people I had kept in touch with for 20 years. They both, after I was diagnosed, I was like, guess what? I got some good news and some, some also good news. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. That turning point. It just, your whole life makes sense. And, you know, like there were signs when I was younger. I remember that I hated scantrons and one of my teachers in seventh grade, she's like, listen, you're not going to use a Scantron. I don't even know if kids these days use Scantrons, but you're going to use a white piece of paper with lines to take your social studies test. I'm like, okay. And so I did. And she also gave me another piece of paper to like block out any of the other lines just to focus on one line at a time. I was getting C's in social studies and that test, I started getting A's just from that accommodation. I had no accommodation plan, but she saw that I was struggling with like the lines on the scantrons and it gave me this anxiety and it made such a difference. So that's one thing. I also was like that going strong. I was a swimmer. I would, you know, be amazing at first, but then I couldn't get the technique down. So then I, then all the other kids would catch up and be so much better than me, but I'm like, I don't get it. I, I am strong. I should be excelling, but I wasn't. There's so many stories. In my demo lesson for my first teaching job, I freaked out. I shut down before, like the night before, and I had to have a conversation with my mom and one of her teaching friends because I couldn't put all the pieces together. I had all these creative ideas about what I wanted for this science genetic lesson, but I couldn't like put it in a step process that made sense. The day of my demo lesson, I was an hour late. Now, I was never late to anything before that, believe it or not, but I was an hour late because I didn't put into traffic when I was driving in from the city. I can go on and on and on, but those are some signs. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Oh, my goodness. So you mentioned that you were getting C's, but then you got A's. Did you generally do really well in school? No, I was an average student. I wouldn't say like I never got an IQ test or anything. I would say I was probably average if I was to get one. I wasn't the smartest. My, You know, I would compare myself to my sister who was in all honors classes and it came easy to her. Things didn't come easy for me. I was a solid B student, but because I had two parents who were overachievers, my mom being a math teacher, my dad owning a school and a camp, they always instilled hard work and effort. And so I did. I would come home before my swim practice and just work. And even if I didn't get anywhere, I would still try to do my work as much as possible. And then I had tutors and my mom would help me. So I was lucky where I got external help. And in some classes, like math, because my mom was a math teacher and I was better in math, I got A's. And in science, I was really interested in it. So for things that like you didn't have to memorize anything, but you just applied like strategy and creativity, I did really well in that. Like chemistry, I loved chemistry, but I hated bio because you had to remember things. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny because I had um, my science teacher in high school made us memorize the uh, period, the periodic table, table, and and now, and I remember telling that to my daughter, and she was like, "No, they don't do, they don't make us do that anymore." And I was like, "God, that was like the only, that was like the only reason I hated chemistry." Yeah, um, who knows? I could have been a chemist. <laughs> You could be whatever you want. 
But I was like, the only time I used to cheat in high school was when we had to do math formulas. I would I would write them on the inside of my Texas Instrument plastic uh, cover. Gosh, of- yes, who didn't? Come on, right? But I was like, I can't. How are we supposed to memorize that? Thankfully, they don't they don't make kids do that anymore either. Or you could program it into your TI calculator. <laughs> <laughs> I know. There were so many classes where I cheated, I'll be honest. I in my English class, I hated English. I for whatever reason, I could not do well in English. I tried, but my writing context would always get like red marks everywhere. And the teachers, I felt like never really explained to me how I could do it better. They only told me what was wrong. So I never understood what to do differently, and I would always do poorly when I was writing essays. And so in English, I cheated. I had a cheat sheet and I ended up not liking my teacher. And he, before the test said, if anyone cheats, uh, you're going to be kicked out. And I purposely cheated because I wanted to get kicked out of class and I did. (laughs) Wow. That's that's very innovative. I know. (laughs) But don't you want to go back to your English teacher and be like, hey, you want my book, right? <laughs> <laughs> my gosh. You should. You should send it. Hopefully this person's not listening, but I'm going to say one thing. I had a boss when I first got into administration, and the person probably has ADHD themselves and doesn't know it and was very overwhelmed. And I remember on a review, he said to me, you have to live in the gray brook. Stop being so black and white. And he wrote me this whole thing. And I remember like, I don't know how to be in the gray and like be so flexible and bendy. Like I need structure. I need answers. Like tell me what I need to be doing. And I ironically just bumped into him and gave me my gave him my book. So I, I thought of that like last week. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Um, no, but it's true. Even the story mm-hmm. about English, like it just goes to show how how important it is to have those explicit instructions and how those moments in our life where we didn't get them, how much that message then sits with us of like, what am I doing wrong? What's wrong with me that everybody else is getting this right? Where it's like, I just needed to be shown how to do something, right? And, and there's like, yeah, I feel like there's so many examples of that in my own um, uh, my own life as a student where I'm like, I didn't even know the questions to ask. And I really just needed much more clear instruction. Yes. And so then you're told things like, you know, just do better or or you're not meeting your potential or all of these vague criticisms where you're like, I don't know what to do with that. Exactly. Exactly. I always felt like I missed the mark in everything. I was the best tennis player on my tennis team. And because I did something impulsively to my coach, and I'll explain that in just a second, She decided to vote for captains on the day I wasn't there and I wasn't voted a captain and I had been playing for like the longest. And then so like like I always miss the mark in something and I'm not trying to be negative, but like when you have unmanaged ADHD, it's not just like what you think the not able to focus for long periods of time or shifting attention. It's all those other things that come into play like telling your tennis instructor to get off the court when you're playing tennis because you're distracted by them when they're standing on the court. It's making you nervous. 
But screaming it to her is probably not the best idea. Get <laughs> off the court! <laughs> Uh, it's still pretty petty of her to retaliate by voting. Fair I mean, enough. That's... Fair enough. <laughs> uh, no, that's so relatable too, right? Those moments where we just feel like we kind of fumble through, where things make perfect sense to us in the moment, and then it's like the next day you're like, I can't believe I said that, or you know, or it was received. Like I feel like we always have the best intentions. Things get messed up in the communication so often. Yes. I actually was just talking to my husband. And I think for many women with ADHD, and I'm sure you can attest to this, we have these fawn responses at this point in later in life because we become people pleasers, not only because of our ADHD, but because of how other things manifested with anxiety associated with it. So we don't become as direct as we used to be. And we ask questions and and become a little submissive rather than assertive later in life. And my husband has ADHD and he's a very literal communicator. So me asking him questions is really just like, I want you to say yes to me and I don't want to cause an argument. But for him, he's like, but you're asking me a question. I'm answering you, but you don't want the answer. You just want me to agree with you. So it's like this round and round conversations that we have. But until someone points it out to us that we're doing these things, we don't even realize that they become so ingrained in the way that we are. Well, and not only that, but we don't, I don't think we all take into consideration how much is behind these thought processes that we have as women, right? So it's like when we're always asking before we're diagnosed, like, why am I so exhausted all the time? It's because everything we do seems to have 10 kind of subcategories that have brought us to that decision in terms of how we're going to be perceived or what we're going to get out of it, or am I going to be thought of as a bitch or like all of these ways in which we kind of always have to manage so much cognitive overload. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, that is so, it's really difficult to describe, but I think it's also difficult for us to even know it's happening, right? Like we're, because we're in such a state of overwhelm so much of the time before our diagnosis and, you know, even after it. (laughs) Then you come to the point where you're like, all right, well, let me just ask you what you think I should say, because I don't even know what to say anymore. But then that takes away your empowerment, right? So it's this constant battle of like, do I say this? Do I not say this? Do I leave it? Decision making. Right. Yeah. And that not only that, but the paradox between like feeling very opinionated and having very like specific ideas and goals, but at the same time feeling like many times it's easier to not make decisions, especially like I think in in partnerships, like where it's like, I don't want to decide what we're eating for dinner because if I decide we're going to a certain restaurant and everybody's disappointed, it's going to be my fault. And so it's much easier for me to be disappointed (laughs) and let other people drive, right? Yes. And so I feel like there's that, like that is very common in people with ADHD because we're so worried about disappointing people all the time that it's like, no, I don't want to make these decisions. So, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <sighs> you you are trying to accommodate and please everyone. And in the end, it ends up biting you in the ass because you're the one who suffers and then you're not getting what you really want. And then it causes you to think these things like, oh, they're not 
putting me first or they don't care what I want. But really, it's us who are the problem sometimes. You know, we need to learn how to express what we want with that confidence. So hard. I know, right? And that was when when Sari Soldom was talking about masking as a form in her workbook, where she was talking about how masking often involves pulling away from people. That like hit me like a brick, you know, just that idea of how often I have just dismissed myself in terms of like pulling away and just sort of saying like it's, you know, putting other people centered. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> my train of thought. But you know what I mean? That's like you kind of deny you're in self-denial. Exactly. You accepted all of this stuff, whether it be people who don't align with their core values or people who aren't bringing you up or you can't be yourself with. You've accepted that for so long. As soon as you start unmasking, you're like, wait a second. I don't feel good around this person. Why do I want them in my life? I can't be who I really am at the core. It is paralyzing me. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Congratulations on your book, Activate Your ADHD Potential. So great. I'm so excited for this to be out in the world. Thank you. And I listened to the episode that you did on your podcast where you were talking about making it and these deadlines that you had set for yourself. <laughs> the 72-hour deadline to write your book. I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I thought that I was going to write a book in three days and legitimately, like, it's not that I even tricked myself. I thought I could write a book in three days. I said, other people are doing it, so I can do it. I dropped everything that I knew about controlling my ADHD, and I was like, yep, three days. And then getting into it, I'm like, wait a second. Come on. I'm not putting something out that's only been made in three days. <laughs> well, and not only that, but I think it's like, we probably could think through all the things that you would want in a book in like a very, very short period of time, it's just getting them out of your brain onto the page. That is the hard part. Correct. Correct. That's where I feel like the amazing accomplishment is for anyone with ADHD, which is like, how do you even filter all of the crazy thoughts in your head into a coherent book? So kudos to that. A hundred percent. Thank you. Thank you. And in in the end, it ended up being like a relatively short amount of time. I finished writing it I think around July and then there was a lot of editing and I got it out October 1st. So, and I started in January. So it wasn't that long and I didn't want to go get a publisher because of course I couldn't wait a year and apply to a publishing company or get an agent. To, no, I just want to get it out. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. Um, well, it's fantastic. Now, so I have a lot of questions about the book. So uh, my first question is, we talk a lot about overwhelm with ADHD, but I feel like we don't talk a lot about underwhelm. And so I love the fact that you address it. Um, you talk about underwhelm in terms of being a 
momentum disruptor. So can you explain that a little bit? Sure. So I thought about the 10 momentum disruptors that many individuals with ADHD can deal with on a daily basis, some of them at the same time on a weekly basis. And it starts with underwhelm. So underwhelm is when we're bored. We don't have enough dopamine in our brains very often. So we aren't excited or interested in something. And we're seeking dopamine. So we do these dopamine-seeking behaviors like, okay, let me think of an exciting new idea. Well, an exciting new idea is like, let's create a book or let's create this new screenplay or let's buy a house or let's get a new car. All these new exciting ideas, but they're big ideas, generally speaking. So because of that, that increases our dopamine. And because our dopamine is increased, very often when it's not managed, we will hyper-focus. And when we hyper-focus for too long, you know what you know what happens. Then we get overwhelmed. We burn out. And when we burn out, then our emotional dysregulation starts coming into play. We feel like we need to compare ourselves to others because we're not feeling good about ourselves or we weren't able to do the thing all the way through. Or then we start having, you know, these negative self-beliefs. We have a lot of RSD moments all the way until we get to complete and utter shutdown. When we shut down at that point, like we have those F responses, the freeze, fight, fight, fawn, fib. And when that happens, we are just like usually frozen, not doing anything, just ruminating in this space of like, not doing anything. And because of that, then the cycle starts over. Then we get underwhelmed because we stopped everything. And if we're underwhelmed for too long, we can't be bored or underwhelmed. So then we need to think of another exciting new idea. And then we hyper-focus and get overwhelmed. So it's just this constant spiral for many individuals with unmanaged ADHD. And it can go in different orders as well, but that's the order that I cons- like. I commonly see it in from my clients and myself. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that it's almost that's where the executive dysfunction around prioritization can be really tricky. Like, I feel like when you were talking about that, you reminded me of clients that I always get into the situation with them where they're like, okay, I need to work on my nutrition. I need to exercise. I need to fix this. I need to clean out my grunt. Like they're just so, right? Like they don't even know where to begin. And when we talk about like, well, let's pick one thing. They like literally cannot because it feels like all of these buzzers on the table and they're all going off at the same time. And so do you feel like the dopamine seeking, is that underwhelm or is that overwhelm at that point? Because they haven't actually done anything. They haven't really taken a step. So I'm like, is that, would that, would you consider that a state of underwhelm at that point when, when you're not really applying yourself to anything? Good question. So when you're bored, I would say you're underwhelmed as an ADHD or when you literally don't have something like 20 things, when you just like, when they're out of sight, out of mind, and you're in a place where you like, can't really think of these things that you need to be doing that's boredom. Or when you're doing the same thing over and over again, and it's repetitive, and you need more, you're bored, and you're underwhelmed. And that's why people want different jobs, or a different partner, or a different exciting new adrenaline-seeking activity. 
So if you are in a state where then you're ready to step out and do the things, but you have all of these things, so you're like hyper-focusing on, hmm, which one should I choose? Well, let me make this list. I'm going to make the list, and then there's 100 things on the list, and then, okay, so uh, where do I start? Um, So this is something that I was supposed to do a month ago, and that seems like that's the most important. But then my friend told me that I should be doing this thing and she's waiting on me. You know, that's where you start becoming overwhelmed. So yes, you can ironically be underwhelmed and overwhelmed at the same time. No two people are going to be in the same spot all the time. But these are just constant things that I see happening. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Because I feel like that's such, such a hard state to explain to people that paralysis that ends up happening where we're like on the couch and we're scrolling Instagram And we can't, like, literally can't get started. We can't get the momentum just to get started. But we're overwhelmed simultaneously by all the things we are not doing in that moment and, and, you know, chastising ourselves for not doing all of those things. And so then that comes in the exhaustion and then you can't get off the couch and then it like, you know, that cycle happens. Yes. But to an outsider, it looks like you're relaxing and you're like, (laughs) you're like, no, I am definitely not in a state of relaxation right now. Exactly. Like the lazy it, uh, makes me like cringe, right? If we, I had just recently posted something where if we were all we were doing was being lazy, then why are we thinking about all of the things inside of our head that we're not doing, right? Like we usually as an ADHD are not lazy. It's just that activation piece of our executive functions that has such a difficult time in starting something because of the overwhelm. Mm -hmm. So in the first step of the book, I share if you are overwhelmed or you're simultaneously underwhelmed and overwhelmed, I want you to think about what you're not attending to. Not all the hundred million things that you're not doing. Like what in your body are you not attending to? Are you not sleeping? Are you not drinking water? Are you not eating? Are you not laughing? Are you not doing that fun thing? Like, I want you to just do that first. Get yourself going, get that dopamine flowing, and then make the brain dump of all of the things that you would like to attend to. Break it down, make a mind map, make it really, really small, then get that accountability, whether it be a coach, a friend, a partner. So you can then say, okay, great. I don't care what thing is more important. I'm just picking one. Because at that point, you're just chipping away at the rock. Things are so chaotic that you just need to take action. There's no rhyme or reason why one is more important than the other. You just need to literally like close your eyes, put your finger on something and do that. But we don't have the confidence very often to do that. And that's why we also often need accountability in doing so. Yes, preach. (laughs) (laughs) So do you feel like activation is harder or motivate or or momentum? Is motivation or momentum, do you think is the which do you think is the big? (laughs) You asked really good questions. (laughs) I'm totally just thinking of this on the top of my head because when you said activation, I was like, oh, you know, that's very like getting started is is an entirely different executive function than staying, you know, keeping momentum for our brains. Yeah. Thankfully, you deal with both in the book, too. So that's the other thing. I give a plug to that. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, but like, mo- I love the fact that you talk about maintaining momentum, because sometimes I feel like there's not a lot of focus on that with books. I think when you're maintaining momentum, you are constantly using activation. So activation isn't just getting started on a big task. It's also getting started on all the small milestones along the way to complete it. Mm. So I would say that activation is the driver to the lack and disruption of momentum. That's one of the big drivers for a lot of different reasons, <laughs> our emotional dysregulation, our overwhelm, our underwhelm, every single 10 of the ADHD disruptors. Um, yeah, right. And and I think there's also a difference too between maintaining momentum and say consistency, right? Like I feel like a lot of people with ADHD want this elusive consistency. They want something that they that started working for them to stay working for them forever. And sometimes I feel like we need to let go of that idea that we are going to stay interested in something, um, you know, that that momentum doesn't necessarily mean sticking with the same thing forever. Correct. And I actually it's it's interesting because my 3C activation activation program is actually control consistency and confidence. So you'd be like, why would you put consistency in a 3C program for individuals with ADHD? That makes no sense. But the consistency piece is consistent in taking action. It doesn't have to be the same action over and over again. It's just that momentum. It's like, just don't stop. Just keep going, right? And even if you fall, you're going to pick yourself back up whenever it is, and you're going to try again. If you ever think of like the stairs where you're taking those small steps and I think it was Stephen Kotler where he like falls off the stairs onto a trampoline and then pops right back up to a higher step and then goes up the stairs and then falls onto the trampoline and pops back up to a higher step and you just eventually keep going. So of course, we're going to crash and we're going to feel all of these feelings and we're going to be overwhelmed at certain times, but be consistent in the actions that you're taking. I love that. That's such a great way of describing it because it's true. Like it reminds me of the very first business coach I ever had who would always say like, you know, failures are research, right? Or something like that, right? Where it's like, anytime we get stuck, like that is as important information for us as as not getting stuck because we can start to look at like, what was it about that moment? What can I learn from that? What can I do differently? You can really get into that problem solving mode in terms of, you know, the consistency is not necessarily the same path. It's not a linear path, but it's a consistency in terms of moving forward and evaluating and applying knowledge. Yeah, exactly. But the biggest thing I would just say to people who are overwhelmed in all of the decision making that you have to do is start at that 1% that those first two steps, what are you not attending to? And what is just one thing? It doesn't have to be a priority, but like one thing that you can just do right now and check it off the list. Then you could learn about how to set bigger goals, why you're setting these goals, what are your values, what are your strengths, what is your motivation for doing certain things. But trying to figure all that out when you have complete another chaos doesn't make sense because you're going to be in that paralysis stage that you're talking about on the couch or in your bed or in your head in many different locations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well said. Uh, now the 3C activation program is that is that I know that you would do that uh, as a training with coaches. Is that a program for clients as well? 
Yeah. So I started it with clients. What happened was I was working solely with one-on-one. And then one of my clients said, hey, I really like this one-on-one thing, but I think there's a lot of power in a group knowing what other people are struggling with, blah, blah, blah. So it organically turned into a program because I would find out what the themes are that were going on each week with all my one-on-one clients. I would put them in a group and then I would create a lesson based on that theme. And each week I would create a lesson. So over time, it ended up being 12 lessons. And then of course I molded it and, you know, changed this or that, but that's how 3C came about. And then they really liked it. And I was like, you know what, this thing actually works. Like I'm not doing it because I just want a program. I'm doing it because this is what they need. And four years later, we've been doing it to hundreds of cohorts. And then I've had people who became coaches afterwards and said, hey, you know what? I would really like to teach your 3C activation program. I'm like, yeah, whatever. So I kept going. I kept going. Two years later, finally, I kept getting people like, hey, do you do ADHD training? I'm like, okay, I think it's time for me to just take a step back and give the people what they want. So um, I actually just had my first cohort who um, has coaches in it getting the 3C activation training. So 30 credits through ICF that they can actually use all the materials in 3C activation, teach it to their clients, and run with it. They get a badge. They get um, the 30 credits of certification. They would obviously need like 35 more credits from another certified program to get an ICF, a certified certification like ACC. But this gives it part. This gives them part of it. So I love it. <laughs> and then I put it into the book. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. Um, now, okay, so now with the book, it's a workbook. It's sort of like a, it's partially, you know, it's mostly book, lots of workbook stuff. Are you doing a book group or anything? Because the one of the things that I've learned with ADHD is that I will never fill out a workbook on my own. <laughs> and so I think there's like a larger question there. Well, I'm like. It's got to be interesting writing a book as an ADHD coach, knowing that like people will sort of stubbornly go through the phase of like, I can do this on my own. Let me just buy the book. I can do this on my own. And then at some point you have to get to that realization, that aha moment where you're like, I need to do this socially. I need to do this in connection with other people. And I'm, I feel like that's just so key with everything with ADHD. Like, why do we even need that accountability? Right. It's so central. So I'm like, how do you balance that out with the book? Uh, I mean, I, I <laughs> no, no, I get it. I get it. Trust me. This is not some overnight like success book. You do, can't just read it all and be cured and managed. There's no such thing. And this book is not for that. This is a deep dive into going through the stages and steps to become confident from your chaos of your ADHD brain. So to your point, if this is a course, how is someone expected to just read it and run with it? No. So the options are you could join our Discord community for free for life and body double with other people who are reading the book at the same time. I also send out for anyone who gives me their email address and uh, sends me a receipt of purchase, I do free webinars like monthly, like, hey, join this free webinar so I can go through the book. I also have a webinar that's recorded where I go through lesson one and two and kind of teach them how to go through the remainder of the book. I have a whole like printout of different other resources. And then I have 
some other programs that support the book as well for a very low cost. So I have my membership. I have a maintaining momentum group. Once you have the steps here, we could apply them in this weekly continuation group. So there's many things. Some of them are free. You don't have to pay more. Um, and some of them are free for life. So, hey. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Clearly, you have not thought about this. <laughs> I have not thought about it at all. But I ha- I don't have a book club going on currently. So that is something that I definitely want to be thinking about. And I, as an adhd I'm never done. It's never perfect. I'm constantly changing the landing page of my book page. So that might be the next thing that they get as buying the book come part of our book club, or I can give you some prompts to start your own book club. I love it. Yeah, right? Because it is it's it is like, sometimes I just feel like, let's just cut to the chase, people. Like, you're you're not going to fill out the workbook. You need to do it. But I love, I, you're right. I totally forgot that you also, part of the book is, uh, once you buy the book, there is access then to the Discord. You know, but it's funny that you said that I have given some copies of my books out and you're getting one, even though I thought I sent it to you, but I didn't because of my ADHD list. But it's on its way. But at least you have the manuscript for now. And Bree Paler from Current ADHD Coaching, she was like showing me pictures of all the the lessons that she did. I'm like, you just got the book. Like, how are you this far in the book? She goes, oh, I'm doing like two to three lessons a day. I'm like, really? So as a coach, it might be a little bit easier to go through these activities than someone who hasn't like thought this way before. So everyone's different, but I, I would say that the majority of the people need accountability and need the community to help guide you through the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I feel like for me, I just need to say it out loud. Like I need to talk it out. I can, it's sort of the same thing I was saying before about like, you get so overwhelmed by all the thoughts in your head that there is just that shutdown where I'm like, I can't possibly start writing what is happening in my head right now. And so then I just wander off. Yeah. And (laughs) I hear you. I hear you. I had a person who Instagram messaged me and she had the book, she had a picture, very accessible to speak to the person. And they're like, okay, is this what I'm supposed to be doing here? I'm like, yep, you're on the right track what does this question mean? Here you go. Boom. And then she moved on. So like, don't ever feel like you can't reach out to me in any platform and ask me a question about the book. That's fantastic. So are you, are you doing anything at the ADHD conference? Are you speaking or? Ironically, I'm on a women's panel. (laughs) Why is that ironic? (laughs) Well, I happen to be on a woman in ADHD podcast right now while you're asking the question. All right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, All right. So in person, I am um, on a like uh, ADHD through the woman lifespan. So I'm in the 30s category, even though I only have six months left there. So I'm hanging on to the 30s. (laughs) Um, And we're going to talk about like what we want to see more of as women with ADHD, what we want to see less of, those kind of things. And then for the uh, virtual conference, I'm going to be talking about how to control overwhelm and underwhelm and taking people through the book. What about you? Oh, amazing. I'm not, no, I'm attending, but uh, I'm not speaking. And I find that I love all the different hats because I feel like I go and I look through the uh, last year I would look through and I'm like, hmm, am I today? Am I a coach? Am I a parent? Am I a psychology student? So it's like all of, you know, I think I'll be attending most. How do you make the decision? (laughs) 
Maybe you need to make a guide for how to decide which ADHD <laughs> session you should go to. <laughs> I really, I was really loved the uh, mind mapping walkthrough too in the book because I find that that is so incredibly helpful. But again, another one where I'm like, I can get paralyzed by the blank page. So even just having that outline was so is so incredibly helpful. That was a really great idea. Thank you. Yeah. Well, as I was going through it, I, of course, say, like gave it to my coaches and um, some of my clients. And I'm like, what do you feel you would need here if you were to just be given this without any sort of instruction, really? And they're like, yeah, you should use examples. So I tried to like make it as black and white as possible with the littlest amount of confusion or room for not being transparent. So trying to make it as easy and simple to go through because going through something all the way to the end is hard enough with ADHD that I want to make it friendly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now talking about the panel, I, now I'm curious what as a as a woman who is ending her 30s, what would you what do you want to see more of in the world of ADHD? More love, Aww. more love and less competition. No, seriously. I mean, as women, we have so many things. We have so many demands that we put on ourselves, that the world puts on us. We are moms. We have hormones. We have to plan for our whole family. We are business owners. We are teachers. We are all of these things. And if we could just get help from one each other and support each other rather than compete in a negative way, I think that we could rise as a society. And from there, be in more governmental roles as well. <laughs> mm. I actually, I feel like the ADHD, at least the online ADHD community is incredibly supportive. It's one of the most incredible communities I've ever experienced. Um I agree. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that it's necessarily the ADHD community. I would say it's a person who has ADHD, who's a woman going into society with people who don't have ADHD. That's where it, the support might not be as strong. So it's just on a whole. So that's what I would like to see more of. Aw, right. Well, I feel like one of the things that I find really challenging is how many women with ADHD reach out and say, like, speak for yourself. You have it all together. And my life is a total shit show. Right. And they're like, you know, all these people talk. You don't have ADHD. What are you talking right? about? That's such a neurotypical <laughs> response. It's so general. Like, you don't know what I'm dealing with. Right. Like, I think that it, there's like, I almost wish for more people to just see themselves in such a better light. Like that's always heartbreaking to me that there are so many women out there who have ADHD and feel like they will never get it together. Right. That they just feel like they are broken, I don't know, like hopeless. Right. And broken. And that's where I feel like I, I want to wave my magic wand and help everybody. Cause I'm just like every single one of you, like I'm sure like Tracy Otsuka says, like everyone, everybody has this amazing quality, right? Everybody's brilliant at something. Um, it's just really about self-confidence. Yeah. I agree. And I think that the biggest thing, if I had to like put my finger on it, that women struggle with, with ADHD is not setting a boundary, not setting a boundary for ourselves and not saying it's okay to shut off now because my brain is done. 
or it's okay not to start at 7 a.m. if 10 a.m. is a better time for me, if you have that privilege, right? It's okay to only see three clients today rather than 10. It's okay to ask for what I want. And when we start creating those boundaries, then we have more time for things. We all have the same 24 hours in a day. It's not that we don't work as efficient as a neurotypical. It's just that we expect so much of ourselves and we overschedule. Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The Lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working, and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyper-focus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy-to-access, self-guided, and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called, Hey, it's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. I loved that part in your book where you were like, get up and don't just tend to yourself first, no matter who is screaming for you or whatever. Like, you know, it's just like you have to like connect to yourself before the beginning of the day. And I think that that was so, again, really a concrete, structured way to talk about self-care, you know, because we're always like, you know, treat yourself and, you know, do things for yourself. And but, you know, it really starts from the moment you wake up sometimes, especially as a mom, too. Right. And just to be like the first person you need to connect with the moment you wake up is is yourself. And that hit me hard. Oh, thank you. The way that you start your day is the way that the rest of your day is. So if you start your day chaotic, the rest of your day is screwed, unfortunately. <laughs> It's really hard to come down from a chaotic morning. (laughs) But if we can start it with mindfulness or attending to ourselves rather than our phones or our kids or whatever, and like really making that work for us, whether 
And I know people are going to listen to this episode and be like, oh, you're silly. Like, (laughs) you don't have kids. You don't understand. No, I do have kids and I understand how hard it is. But sometimes we just need to ask our partner for help or wake up earlier and do those things. Or when they go to bed, like legitimately put them to bed at a time where you can decompress. So whatever it is, if it's the morning, if it's at night, if it's in the middle of the day, you got to take time for yourself. (sighs) Wow. You're awesome. Thank you so much. This is great. I'm so excited. So, oh, so I have to ask you my question I always ask, which is if you could name AD, if you could come up with a different name for ADHD, would you call it something else? Yes. Attention is delivered with the help of dopamine. Ah, and it's still ADHD. I love that. Um, Mm -hmm. Because that was always my complaint with like VAST. I'm like, you're still going to have to Google ADHD with VAST. Right. Like it doesn't, it's not the same name. (laughs) Not the same acronym. Yeah. No, I love that. Keeping that acronym too. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. How old is your, how old is your youngest now? So I have a 20 month old who's a mini me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh it's a lot for a mom with ADHD because we get so like structured into our own routine and then surprise there's a kid and guess what when you start learning how to work with your child then they change and then you have to retry different things so i love her so much she gives me so much dopamine and it's also like all hands on deck a lot. So I give myself grace and permission. I ask for help. And I really try as much as possible. And I'm not saying I'm perfect or an expert at this, but I try as much as possible that when I'm with her to like really be present because I work full time. I have a nanny, but I want to be with her when the nanny's not there. I want to be present in her life. So that helps me set those non-negotiables work-wise where I can focus on what's important. And that's her. Aw, well said. And it speaks to that idea of the transitions that you talked about at the very beginning, right? Yeah. Correct, correct. Like setting transitions are really hard, but like having that break in between whatever you're doing to the next thing. So like right after work, if I just run and attend to my daughter, it's going to be a little stressful. And I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I like live on the edge of chaos. I'm like, all right. One more minute. (laughs) But at the same time, I really try to like go outside. I live in Florida. I try to do something before I'm all hands on deck again. So I have her and I have two stepsons, a 10 and a 12-year-old. So it's a family of five. (laughs) Oh, amazing. And they both have been diagnosed too, right? Uh, With ADHD? Yes, yes, yes. You did your homework. Yep. (laughs) But the funny thing is, going back to the beginning of our conversation, I was attracted to people who have ADHD. So my husband and the two boys were not diagnosed with ADHD until I came into the picture. And my husband said, hey, by the way, like, I think my youngest, like, he's literally jumping off the walls. I'm not kidding. Like, we had a court and he was jumping and bouncing off the walls. It's like, I think he has ADHD. I'm like, oh yeah, he has ADHD. And I would guess that the oldest has ADHD and you have ADHD. And he goes, no way. I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, I thought I just had trauma because of my childhood. I'm like, 
go see my psychiatrist and then come back to me. And all of them were diagnosed and they're, they're thriving. Luckily, they are, you know, getting the tools that they need. One of them is working with one of my executive function coaches. Gabe and I like talk about the strategies that we use in my coaching practice. And my older one is uh, just thriving. So we're all so different and doing really well. Oh, what a gift uh, to be able to see the world through this perspective and to be able to you know, know what those approaches are and to have those ideas and those and to know how to sort of explicitly bring that structure instead of having to be in school and have a teacher say things like, you're just not doing it well. Well, well, <laughs> so um, I don't know how much time we have. And I know this is probably a whole other podcast episode, but my young, my boys, they both go to private school and they go to a private Catholic school. And I don't think they really understand ADHD. Uh, luckily, the older one is brilliant. So he compensates really well. But the younger one doesn't have as much smarts. And he's hyper, outwardly hyper. And the teachers don't know how to deal with him. So we have to fight with them to receive his accommodations, to get an individualized education plan. Private schools don't have to give it. So it's been a little bit of a battle and it's not easy. So like just being on top of that as a divorced household with executive function difficulties, being on top of the school district, the teachers, the principals, it's a lot of EF skills going on there. But we're doing the best we can so he can get the best education that he deserves. Yeah. Well, I think the most important part in all of that, I mean, yeah, like when you talk about the EF skills about accommodations and medication, like even just getting medication every month is such a huge chore. <laughs> oh my gosh. Don't even get me started. They both, they're both on Concerta. Okay, fine. Like without a shortage, it's still like to remember to call your doctor we love calling doctors, say, hey, it's that time. I need my medication again. Here's my pharmacy. Then waiting for the text from your phone or calling the pharmacy to make sure that the medication is ready. Then going to the store, the medication's not ready. Having to wait or come back. It's a whole process. Then there's a shortage. So both boys are on Concerta trying to call every single pharmacy in South Florida to find their medication. Luckily, my husband hyper-focused and found a pharmacy, but now we're paying out of pocket to get them their Concerta. So it's, it's a lot. It's a lot, but it's worth it. And we all have our strengths and um, it just comes together because we all understand our brains. And it's so cute. Both boys have the book next to their beds. And the older one, who's a reader, he is, they're, they're in the same bedroom. He puts his reading light on at night when the younger one is sleeping and he starts reading the book. He goes, oh yeah. Like, and he like starts summarizing it to me. <laughs> He's 12 years old. <laughs> oh, oh my God, that's so sweet. Um, yeah, I love it. And that I think, you know, despite all of those really, really incredible frustrations as, as a parent with ADHD, having to advocate for your child with ADHD, I think the most important part at the end of the day is them knowing 
that you're in their corner and that you're advocating for them and that you see them, right? Like that you see that this is what they need and that um, it's not going to be easy, but at least feeling like, you know, they're not going to be growing up constantly going to be asking that question, what's wrong with me that I feel like so many of us asked ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. We understand why their bedroom's a mess. We understand why their bags are in the middle of the house, even though it might drive me crazy. I get why it happens. So what can we do about that? Can we buy maybe a box and you put it in the box and that's where it goes when you first walk in? So like trying to accommodate them and meet each person where we are, right? I think that's the thing. Um, just one really funny thing that I didn't mention, you had asked in the beginning, like, how did you know, like, what are some things that got, undi- you know, undiagnosed and you look back and you're like, oh, yeah, that was definitely ADHD. One story that I share a lot recently is when I was younger in my childhood house, we got robbed twice. And both times, my room was untouched. I had mounds of clothes on the floor that I would step over every day. And I swear both robbers thought to themselves like, this room is definitely accounted for. So there is a silver lining, my friends. (laughs) If your child has a messy room, close the door and don't look. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if I should tell my daughter about this story or not tell her about this story. Does she have ADHD as well? Yes, yeah, she both my kids do. She's 16 um, and her room is the bane of my husband's existence. And he's always like, he always is like, have you gone into her room lately? And I'm like, no, I don't go into her, her room, room because I would have that react. Well, and not only that, but I'm like, I don't want to have like, it would give me agita to go into her room. So I don't. It's her space and I want her to have her space. Um, but yeah, he's constantly, yeah, he's very much of the, like, we have to fix, you know, we have to figure out how to teach her how to be organized before she leaves the house. And like, he feels this, a lot of pressure to teach her all of these executive functioning skills before she becomes an adult and leaves the house. And I'm like, she'll get there, you know, but like, you can't force it on her. She has to, we're experiential learners, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes. So she's going to get it all together when she has to live with somebody or when it's her own house. Like, it'll happen. Don't worry. The motivation is there and she doesn't have all these other things on her plate, one thing at a time, right? Like, we're not perfect as adults. There's so many things that I could be doing better. And if I was told all the time, I need to do this better, I need to make sure that I do this, that like, it's just all those negative messages again, that us ADHDers hear over and over again. So we got to embrace what we can do. And accept what we can't do. And if we can't do it, and we're lucky enough to get help, or, you know, just leave it as it is. Fine. (laughs) Aww beautifully said. Thank you. Well, thank you, Brooke. It's been a real, real treat to have you on and, and to have be able to pick your brain a little bit. So thanks. Thanks so much. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> Such a pleasure. Uh, and congrats again on the book. Um, very exciting. Really, really great job. So thank you for putting that out in the world for the rest of us. Thank you. It's, it's been a pleasure, really. It's a gift to me that other people are reading this and thriving with it and are actually like really interested in it. So thank you. There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. If you'd like to find out more about me and my coaching programs, head over to womenandadhd.com. 
If you're a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD and you'd like to apply to be a guest on this podcast, visit womenandadhd.com slash podcast guest, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. Also, you know we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I totally get it, please just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may be struggling and they don't even know why. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered she's not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD. And she's now on the path to understanding her neurodivergent mind and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then. Okay, before we get started with today's episode, have you heard the awesome news? Llama Life now has an iOS app so you can take it with you wherever you go. I have been using Llama Life consistently on my computer for a year now. A year. That's unprecedented. That's like a lifetime in ADHD terms. And now with the new iOS app, I'm able to seamlessly transition between my computer and my iPhone so that my favorite little productivity coach is with me whenever I need it. So what is so special about Llama Life? Well, for starters, it's not a fancy new calendar or planner or complicated productivity management system. It's a time boxing, single tasking program that easily integrates with your already existing organizational systems. If you're like me and you struggle with time blindness or maintaining focus throughout your day, then this is the app for you. I love Llama Life because it's simple, effective, and beautifully designed. And dare I say, it makes even the most mundane chore more fun and colorful. If you want to check out the iOS app for yourself, head to the App Store for a free trial and start enjoying that Llama Life for yourself.